Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains body language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make, but don't say we didn't warn you. Hey Jess, do you want to like lay down some sweet, sweet tracks with me? You know that episode of Parks and Rec where, well there are a couple, but like where she goes to the NPR guys and is like, I'm Darren Murbles or whatever his fucking name is. Darren Marbles? <laughs> I feel like you don't know this episode. I might. But it's John Hodgman and he plays like the, the super, <gasps> yes. yeah, the super NPR guy and he's yes. like, here's Right, he yes. leans in. I feel that's what I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> because, Tell me how you really feel. Because we're both in the same room. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. Every time my one of my animals interrupts <laughs> the show, we need to drink. 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 Oh, that did that not make a great That noise. does not it's make a I'm satisfying. Out of aluminum. You're drinking wine out of a can. Can dum dum. Whatever. I am classy. You dum dum. Stop it, you guys. We gotta drink. Drink. Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hammond and Aubrey Whitlock, and it's a really special episode today because Whamlet is in the same room. You guys, we are in the same fucking house right now. And in the same time zone. It's amazing. Like, I'm touching Aubrey right now. My Ooh. hand is on her shoulder. Oh, you don't even know. That's very sexy. Yes, but is. also... If the sound is wonky for this episode, that's why, because... We've never recorded two in a room before. We're sharing a mic. It's real weird. So bear with us, y'all, because... Yeah. (gasps) Um, yes. (laughs) That wasn't a sentence. (laughs) Also, we're drinking wine. We're drinking wine in celebration of this being the premiere of season two. Season two. Episode one. Champagne popping sound effect. Clink. Clinking. It was a very sad glass and the aluminum. Um, we hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. This week, we're talking about the twinniest of twinsy shows. The comedy of errors. Woo! Yeah. It's, it's a comedy. It's so great. With some errors in it. It is. Also, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're So what welcome we're back, everybody. We yeah. hope you had a dope summer. There go the cats. Yep. <laughs> Drink. Drink. Oh, I'm gonna get shitty. Oh my animals interrupt this show way more yeah. that I noticed now that I have to drink because of it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so happy summer, everybody. Uh, I know for a lot of you, it's probably still technically the summer. I mean, shit, for me, it's still technically the summer, but we're getting back into it. Classes start in three weeks, and that is terrifying and also awesome because it's my last semester of coursework! <laughs> Yay! Yeah, crushing it. I'm crushing it. Totally so anyway, it. So anyway um, we're doing uh, Comedy Bears 101, and every week we discuss a different play by our favorite guy, William Robertson Shakespeare. Nice. 
at what we like to call the 101 level, which means... Yeah, so that is introductory stuff, which is everything you need to know to have a general understanding of the play and some of its major themes and some other cool stuff you'll get nowhere else, like our opinions. It's pretty fucking great. And this week it's our drunken opinions. (laughs) Hashtag you're welcome. Sorry about it, except I'm not sorry about it. Um, Also, like Aubrey said, it is our first episode of season two, so we just want to let you know... uh, couple things we've got coming up for you this season. Um, Basically, we're going to finish the canon of Shakespeare's plays, which will be exciting, so stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. Also, we have some cool guest experts coming in. So fucking cool, you guys. You don't even know. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm just really excited. It's really, really fucking exciting. We got some dope people. Dope. I put that in the room and now we're going to use it all night. <laughs> because I can put things in the room because we're both in the room! I'm we're so in the excited. room! I'm in the room! We're in the room where um, Also, this season, we're going to do our first 301 episode ever, yeah. and we don't know what that's going to be like, so stay tuned. Right. It's going to be sick, though. going to be super yeah. great. Stay it's going to be in dope. September, I think. <laughs> it's going to be dope. It's going to be, be dope. Lit. It's going to be swole. Yeah. <laughs> You can take the girl out of California, but you absolutely cannot take the California out of the girl. So, uh, why don't we kick off this first episode of season two with some rhetoric? Why don't we? Oh my god, yes! Alright, because we are word nerds, each week we will draw a random device from our handy-dandy ASC, that's American Shakespeare Center, rhetorical device cards. Yeah, for actors and scholars, knowing these rhetorical devices helps us recognize patterns in Shakespeare's language so that we can gain a better understanding of what's being said and how it's being said. Basically, it helps us understand characters through their speech tactics. So, uh... Draw a card, banana. Banana. Yeah, I don't know. I put that in at the end of last season. Banana you. All right, you're right here, so, like, tell me. Shit. Oh, I don't even have to shuffle anymore. You don't even have to tell me where to stop. Okay, like, I shuffled, and just, I'm going to put these face down. Oh, my God, I'm just going to, can I pick one? Can yeah. I just reach out and pick one? Oh, my God, oh my God. I'm so excited. Just re- reach out and pick one. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to close my eyes. Yeah, just grab I'm one. A, oh, I'm going to feel for a good one. Yeah. This one. I think this one's Excellent. Good. So cool! <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I'm so excited and also I'm drinking. Jess Hamlet, like, fell out of her chair. <laughs> Zookma. I, this is, I, can I do it? Yes, can I do it? Yes. I've never done it before. Yes, Jess, what pray tell okay. is Zookma. Zookma. When one part of speech... Often a verb governs two or more others. I've never actually seen these in real life before, and I'm fascinated at how they do it. Okay, so here's the example. It's from uh-huh. Macbeth. 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 <laughs> uh, and it's Macduff, and he says, The spring, the head, the fountain of your blood is stopped. The very source of it is stopped. So stopped is the verb governing, governing, governing. Yeah, no, that's how you say that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> governing um, the spring, the head, and the fountain. Uh-huh. So um, the spring is stopped, the head is stopped, the fountain is stopped of your blood. Right. So, yeah. So read the definition one more time. Yeah. When one part of speech, often a verb, governs two or more others. So in other words, it's, I mean, it's an omission <laughs> yes. technique, right? It's yeah. like omitting the verb if you were going to say the same verb twice. Yeah, so like the the example that I just have in my back pocket for this is you go this way, we that. Right. 
which I I think is not it's like not it's, verb zugma. Yeah. But it's it's the way it's that is governing the yeah. second business. So right. I'm gonna have that back. It's an implied verb. Oh, this was so exciting. Zugma. Oh. Z-E-U-G-M-A right. for the inquiring minds. Sorry, I've, I've never done this before. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sure. Rhetoric cards for gin. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so thrilling. <laughs> sorry for all the shrieking. I'm, I'm really ears. excited okay. about that. That was amazing. All right. Do we do the ding? Yeah. Do you want to do that too? Can I? Yes. Do we have the actual things? Yes. <gasps> okay. Glockenspiel is ready. Are you ready? Yes. Do it. It's now time for your burbage break with Master Master Hamlet. Okay, I'm taking that away now. The best day of my life. Taking it away now. Okay, all right. So, I think it will probably come as no surprise to any of our listeners that my burbage break this week is going to center on twinsies um the early moderns were fascinated by twins just fucking fascinated uh they appear in drama obvs because high comedy bears uh high twelfth night high some other things they appear in art and also social literature and medical literature of the time like they're just fucking everywhere um so as evidence of this i'm going to present to you our listeners, a couple of representative examples from Daisy Murray's new book, Twins in Early Modern English Drama and Shakespeare, which is out now from Rutledge, and it's great, and you should buy it. So, um, example number one is the portrait of the Shulmondeli ladies, uh, which depicts two women in the same pose, in the same dress, and looking nearly exactly alike. The painting uh, is currently hanging in the Tate Gallery in London, and it was painted somewhere between 1600 and 1610. And it has a caption, which I think is unusual of paintings of the time, but I'm not an art historian, so don't quote me on that. But what the caption says is, two ladies of the Cholmondeli family who were born the same day, married the same day, and brought to bed the same day. Um, the image is really striking, and I'm going to ask Aubrey really nicely to throw it up on the website for you. Yeah. But also, if you want to Google it, you can. It's just the Cholmondeli ladies, which is C-H-O-L-M-O-N-D-E-L-E-Y. And also for clarification, brought to bed the same day means oh, yeah. childbearing bed. Yes. Like the child bed. Yeah. They the had babies the same day. Yeah. So the only obvious differences, and I stared at this picture for five minutes before these all jumped out at me, um, is that the women are wearing slightly different necklaces. Their ruffs are, they have slightly different trim. Mm -hmm. um, one woman's sleeves are slightly more white than the others, and the babies that they're holding are wearing slightly different pattern gowns. Like, it, this is a twin portrait. It just is. So, look up the image. It's gonna be great. Then there's cheap print, which, uh, you know, broadsides and ballads, um, you know, sort of half sheet or full sheet, one page sort of things, posters, more or less. They were probably the most widely disseminated form of media concerning twins in the early modern period. So between the like mid 1500s and the late 1600s, stories of twins in this kind of literature are 
plentiful, and they often fall into the, quote, strange and wondrous news category of print, which is basically equivalent to the National Enquirer. Um, so perhaps don't take it as the gospel truth. The early modern stories in these ballads and broadsides centered on, quote, descriptions of marvelous creatures and deformed children. Uh, and as a result, they usually featured stories of conjoined twins. So in the 17th century particularly, this interest in twins was strong, quote, marking these children as prodigious figures and including descriptions of their birth and physical appearance alongside moralizing messages. And then of course we have the medical literature, which took the form of, you know, manuals on sort of general doctoring and also how to deal with childbirth. Um, and unsurprisingly, for a time where women were commonly regarded as property and imperfect and a bastardization of the male form, the most common medical explanation for twin births, quote, functions within a model that blames the mother for imperfections evident within her offspring. However, early modern ideas about twin conception additionally carry moral implications for the mother as they call her sexual behavior into question. Oh my! Yeah, so basically if you um, had twins, it was probably a reflection of maybe you had sex with your husband and then maybe you went out and had sex with your neighbor and they both impregnated you and so you had two babies. Like a cat. Like a cat. Okay. I mean, that's not how bodies work. That's not how human bodies work. First of all, this, that's not a thing, but that was um, one explanation of many for how twins came to be. And that has been your bourbon break with Master Master Jess Hamlet. That was terrible. I know. What is this? G-D. <laughs> I'm doing so good, you good guys. Good job. Good Amy. job. All right, now we're going to move on to the Comedy of Errors. And we always begin our summary section with a five-word unhelpful title. And I didn't come up with one before we started recording, so Shame. I'm going to do it now. Um, two sets of twins, dude. That's five words. That's five words. All right, uh, mine is a huge kerfuffle about dinner. You're right. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. We better get to that in the summary. Otherwise, it won't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here are some of the characters. Uh, a, little, a brief dramatis personae for you. Mm -hmm. But only the really important ones that you need to know to get through the summary. Uh, okay. So first we have Aegean, an old dude, and Emilia, a nun. Okay. Sorry to butt in, but I literally, I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare, and I just, at this very fucking moment, heard and saw Aegean and thought about the Aegean Sea, which is kind of where this play takes place. <gasps> that was the sound of my mind being blown. I had not thought about it yeah. either. Just in all. this very moment. Congratulations, listeners. You you just heard some new brain cells being born in both of our brains. Um, okay, so then we have Antiphilus of Ephesus. Let's try that again. Antiphilus of Ephesus and Antiphilus of Syracuse, who are two identical twins separated somewhat after birth. Right. They are the sons of Aegean. And that's how the top of the play, that's how the play starts at the top of the play. Then we have the Dromeo of Ephesus, and Dromeo of Syracuse, two identical twins in service 
to the two Antiphili of the same cities, and also separated somewhat after their birth. Yeah. Uh, and then to round out this tiny play, we have Adriana, who is Antiphilus of Ephesus's wife, and Luciana, who is her sister. Those are the names you need to know. Yeah. So, uh, we also like to answer the question, why is this play so goddamn popular? And I think it's, for this one, really obvious. There are two sets of twins. Two sets of twins! And they are really funny! Really funny twins! Yeah, they do stupid stuff, and it's this play is a crowd tickler. You get not one clown, but two official clowns, and then the Antiphili are straight-faced guys who are also clowns. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and, like, twin shenanigans, mistaken identity quadrupled, essentially. It ends fart happily, jokes. and so fart many fart jokes, jokes and as, fart you know... Jokes. And, like, making fun of other countries, which is what the English and Americans love to do. You know? Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. It's a really popular play, because it's fucking funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. what's our summary noise? <laughs> that was our game noise. It is our game noise, because remember, we're going to play a game. Oh, right! Yeah. We're going to do it right now. Yeah. Okay. So, we have this right. new game that's called Aubrey and or Jess fails at Shakespeare. Yes, you may remember this game from last season on such episodes as All's Well That Ends Well or Coriolanus or Parklers. Uh, we play this game when and only when either Jess or myself comes into a recording mm, shall we say cold mm. on a play not having revisited it in a while. Somewhat underprepared. Not unprepared but perhaps underprepared. And and, you know, full of Chardonnay. Yes. In this instance. Or um, fizzy, crisp, white wine beverage with natural flavors. In a can. In a can. Like a classy dame. I'm a classy bitch, y'all. Okay, so, um, but this time, we're both uh, in the same room, and it's a twin play. Yes. So we're going to attempt a twin brain version of Aubrey and Jess Fail at Shakespeare. Yes. And this is how it goes. How okay, it so go? we have to... Look in each other's eyes. Okay. And we have to try to say the same sentence right. at the same time, but no one's making the sentence up. Just one sentence. Yeah, like, okay. well, I mean, we're going to try to summarize the play, so, like, that's the right. direction we okay. need to so go. a one-sentence summary of the play. Or, I mean, we can, it can go on as long as we want. Okay. But it's kind of like, you know that game that people do, like, on Twitter, like, hey, fill in with your auto-text. Yeah! Oh my god, it's, that would be so fun. Wait, it's, it's too fast. It's good. I mean, let's do this, but let's also do that. That's a really fun That's game. No, really let's just do that game. instead. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. Scratch so, that. All right. all right. Okay. So I'm going to text you. So, yeah. I'm going to start with just like, the comedy bears is yeah. a play about. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, hang on. This is a brand new game. You're witnessing the inception <laughs> of this game in the moment as it happens. It's now no longer Aubrey and Jess fail at Shakespeare. It's the robots fail at Shakespeare. Okay. So, I have just typed into my phone, the comedy of errors is a play about. Okay, great. Let's see what auto text okay. on Jess's phone, mind yeah. you. Yeah, on my phone. On Jess's okay. phone has so to here say we go. that. And I'm just, I'm the middle option. Okay, so, auto predict. Yeah. What does it say? The comedy of errors is a great way home for y'all. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it, I kind of, like, it's not, it's not wrong. Like, this is a play about homecoming, a little bit. 
Yeah, for y'all. It is. Yeah. I like that. Well, I kind of, good job, okay. Siri. Now we're going to do it on my phone. Great. The comedy of errors is they play about a good thing about that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> one more time. I love it. Comedy of Errors is a play about a good thing about that one thing. Yep. I mean, it's sort of um, vague. Yeah. Maybe am I, like, just not using the right words in my day-to-day -day life? I mean, you must not be. But also, you know, we tried a thing. It's I fine. Use, I use far too many, um, what you call them? Emojis? No. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, prepositions. Sure. That's what Jenny, I'm getting lay down. Oh, drink! No, the dog Jenny, is interrupting the show. Lay down. Oh, she was eating cat shit. Oh, Jenny! Jenny! Ew, it's like right there! Jenny! And then she licked trouble. you. Oh, wait, get away. Get away. Oh my god. You just witnessed a Jenny temper tantrum? That is what <laughs> happens when you don't pay attention to her. She goes, fine, fuck you, I'm gonna eat cat shit. Okay. Which I think is more of a punishment to her than to <laughs> yeah. me, but whatever. All right. Uh, anyway. Okay. So we so tried that thing. And it was what it was. The robots failed at Shakespeare. Sorry about it. Poorly. But why don't we move on to the summary? Yes. So we are now going to summarize the comedy of errors for you in a segment that we like to call Happy Birthday, Lexi! We got you a silly play about mistaken identity! Yeah, because this is my friend Lexi's favorite play of all time. And also, it's her birthday. Happy Close birthday, enough. belated, last week, a yeah. few days ago. You're Yay, awesome. this one's for you. Thanks for the chocolate, Lexi. Yay. And since this is the first episode of our second season, we thought we'd do a throwback summary so we don't have any notes written out, and we're just going to talk our way through it. Godspeed to us. Yeah, uh, you'll probably remember, well, if you've been listening a while, our, our first Several episodes before we really got into the groove, kind of meandered in the summary. We thought, what the hell? Let's try it again. Yeah. And we have wine this time. We have wine. So much wine. All right. So. Um, All right, here we I go. I don't really, I don't know where the acts divide, so I'm just going to say some shit. Yep. And we're going to just. Okay. Yeah. We'll just tell um, the story. Okay. Uh, do you want to time it? Sure. All right. Here we go. Yeah. The urgency is always good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Isn't it, Ginny? Fuck you, Jenny. Okay, so there's this old guy, Aegean, uh, and he has been shipwrecked, and he has found his way to Ephesus, and he is from Syracuse, and the Syracusians are not welcome in uh, Ephesus, so he's been arrested. Um, and the play opens with him telling this super fucking long story about his life and his shipwreck and how... Uh, he had some twins and they were separated in the shipwreck and also he lost his wife in the shipwreck and it was super sad and he like raised his one kid all by himself in Syracuse. Um, and that is pretty much what Aegean does. And then we have Antipolis of Syracuse who uh, shows up in Ephesus with Dromeo of Syracuse. And they sort of, like, go about their business, and they sort of, like, know that they're not welcome there, uh, and are trying to, you know, get their business together and get the shit out of uh, Ephesus, and hijinks ensue. Yeah, but they're there to find their twins. So one thing that Aegean reveals in his very, very, very long monologue is that the 
he happened, it so happened that in the worst day of his life, the boat that held him and his wife and these two other boys that were the low-born children of a servant lady, uh, these other two twins, the Dromeos, it just so happened that they were on either end of the boat. So when the boat cracked in half... Because that's it, how boats Yeah. <laughs> when the boat cracked in half, Aegean and one Antiphilus and one Dromeo went one direction and wound up back in Syracuse, and his poor lost wife, whose name we don't know yet, and the other Antiphilus and the other Dromeo, because of course you would name both of your twins the same names. Yeah. Duh. Duh. Uh, they went a different direction. And so it's been a mystery their whole lives. And so when the when Aegean's Antiphilus and Dromeo came of age, they decided to go out and seek their brothers uh, to see if they were still alive. So that is how they have come by land to Ephesus. And they find out once they get there that they are not welcome. Um, and, then, and then weird stuff starts happening. Like Antiphilus of Syracuse sends Dromeo off to do some stuff for him. And then Dromeo comes back, but it's not the same Dromeo. And that Dromeo is yelling at this Antiphilus and being like, hey, man, your wife is waiting for you at lunch. Or they don't say lunch. They say dinner. She's waiting for you at dinner and she is pissed. And of course, that Antiphilus of Syracuse is like, what wife, dude? And then he beats him. There's lots of beating of servants. Yes. There are six fights in this play, apparently. Yeah. Fights in air quotes. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, there's also a whole thing about a gold chain because uh, Antiphilus of Ephesus has a mistress, uh, a courtesan whose name is Bianca. Um, and sure, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, uh, so he has commissioned this chain for his mistress, um, and the goldsmith comes to Antiphilus of. Syracuse and is like, hey, here's your chain. And Antiphilus of Syracuse is like, cool, bro. Great. Thanks for the chain. And he like runs off with the chain. And then uh, the goldsmith comes for Antiphilus of Ephesus and has him arrested because he didn't pay for the chain. And Antiphilus of Ephesus is like, you didn't give me a chain, you fuck. Yeah. Mistaken identity. Yeah. And somehow the Dromeo of Syracuse has ended up in the kitchen of the house of the Antiphilus of Ephesus, wherein he finds that his twin, unbeknownst to him, is married to a kitchen wench named Nell, who is like hungry for his body. Is it Nell or is it loose? He calls her Nell and he said that's an L from hip to hip. Mm, Alright. Um I'm pretty sure it's Nell. We can check it. Yeah. Keep talking. Um, so he's got this wonderful speech when the Syracusians finally find each other again. Loose, also known as Nell. <laughs> we okay. Right. All right then. Um, yay, compromise. So he has this very funny bit where he talks about how Nell is a is a, shall we say portly? Yes. She's a round lady, um, and covered in grease because she's a kitchen wench, and there's much fun made of her between the two of them. And uh, and then Antiphilus of Syracuse is invited into his home or I should say his twin's home, where the Antiphilus of Ephesus's wife, Adriana, berates him for being a bad husband. And while he's there, he sees Adriana's sister, Luciana, and is like, hey, pretty lady, I love you. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh my God, you're married to my sister. What are you doing? But she's like, but I'm falling for you too. Oh my God. 
Because <laughs> that's exactly what happened. That's how Shakespeare wrote it. Um, so, so there's all of this mistaken identity yeah. happening. And yeah, and then there's this mess with the chain. Mm -hmm. And one of the Antiphili is locked up. And both Dromeos are running around either retrieving a rope or some money to get them the hell out of there. And then he, you know, and a jailer yeah. shows up. So hijinks ensue. Yeah. Um, the Antiphilus of Syracuse has been locked up. Yeah. And he gets out briefly and takes refuge in a convent. Right. Sort of there next to the road. And by then everyone thinks Antiphilus is crazy. All the yes. Ephesians yes. think that their Antiphilus, who's actually Antiphilus of Syracuse, they think he's nuts and they've called in like a crazy witch doctor yeah. to get the demons out of him and he they runs wanna, away. Yeah, they want to put him in a, in a madhouse. So there's there's an Antiphilus in, in jail, there's an Antiphilus in the convent, the Dromeos are running around, Luciana and Adriana are like, what's happening? Uh, and then... Everybody's assembled in front of the convent. They're about ready to storm the convent and get the guy. When uh, Amelia, the nun, comes out of the convent with the Antiphilus and is like, Wait, I can settle everything because I am Amelia and I used to be married to Aegean and there was a shipwreck and we were separated and we had two sons. And look, here they are all both together. And also here are the Dromeos both together and everybody is happy and they go in hand in hand, not one before the other. The, the end. end. <laughs> not great. But I feel like we got the highlights. We covered the bases. Yeah. All yeah. right. So. Yeah. Good job, it. us. Um, we will return to your regularly scheduled coherent summaries next week. <laughs> yeah. Because we're still on summer brain. Summer and wine brain. brain. And wine brain. And yep. being in the same room brain. Oh my gosh. It's such an aphrodisiac. It's real nice. Yeah, so talk to us about that sweet, sweet scholarly stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, so, um, you know, usually when I do this, I sort of have a theme or two that I wax poetic on. Uh, not so this week. I, I've got a couple quick, quick bits for you. Like, this really is tidbits. It's tidbits and tidbits and tidbits, and I've got, like, a sentence and a sentence. Anyway, popcorn. Okay, so, uh, I want to start with a little bit of performance history that I found, um, while I was doing some... Uh, reading for my exams this summer. Be fun. Yeah, so in 1864, during the tercentenary celebrations of Shakespeare's birthday, that's 300 years celebration of his birthday, uh, in Stratford-upon-Avon, um, part of the festival that they had to celebrate this was a double bill of Romeo and Juliet and Comedy of Errors. And the Dromeos were played by identical twin brothers, <gasps> the Webb brothers. Fun. Yeah. Um, you know, in our... Twelfth Night episode, question mark? We talk about, like, there must be a production somewhere where someone has used twins. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, here's one. It wasn't Twelfth Night, but it was Comedy Bears, which is identical twins, and that's cool. So, yay, Stratford. Um, all right, so then here is item number two. As its source text, the play takes Plautus's Menachmai, which is a play. It's a comedy about twins, and it's got some mistaken identity. It's this play, but it's Roman. Um, it also draws on Plautus's Amphitryo, uh, and also the story of Apollonius, which Shakespeare read in either John Gower's 1390 translation or Lawrence Twine's 1594 version. Uh, but 1594 was the year this was written, so it's conjecture. Anyway, uh, number three, Shakespeare himself was the father of twins. Judith and Hamnet were born in 1585. 
Uh, Hamnet died in 1596, so probably about two years after this play was written. Number four. Uh, though the play revolves around and is driven by men, Adriana has the most words of any character in this play. Go, girl. Yeah. Number five. The only mention of America in the entirety of the Shakespeare canon is in this play, in Act 3, when one of the Dromeos is describing mm -hmm. uh, the kitchen maid loose, a.k.a. Nell. <laughs> yes. Number six? Is that what I'm on? Yeah. Six, six. Eggs, right? Uh, so the, the play was part of the Christmas festivities at Gray's Inn in 1594, which is a, a inn of court um, in London. Uh, and the event got so out of hand that the performance was abandoned entirely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, drunken Christmas revelry, man. Mm -hmm. uh, number seven. This is the shortest play that Shakespeare wrote, clocking in at only about 1,600 lines. And finally, number eight. Uh, the play doesn't exist in Quarto, so our only authoritative version of the play comes from the 1623 folio. Boom. Hamlet out. There's some tidbits for you. I love your tidbits. Thanks, babe. <laughs> um, okay, uh, from from a production perspective, we talked about this a little bit in the Twelfth Night 101 episode, but it bears repeating. These twins are actually scripted as identical twins, right? They look exactly alike. Aegean sets that up beautifully in the very first scene, that they look exactly like each other. So that, you know, it of course begs the question, what do you do with that in production? Do you make a visual joke out of the fact that your Antiphili and your Dromios look nothing like each other and then play with their costumes a little bit to sort of insinuate uh, their identicalness? Or do you find similar looking actors and play on that, play on the actual similarities in their features uh I, you know i have seen really successful productions go either way so i personally don't think it matters i don't think it matters either i do also think it merits noting um that the american shakespeare center's hand of time tour that is going out on the road in a month september is doing comedy bears this this year so check them out if they'll be near you go see them um, and the Dromeos are being played by Annabelle and Topher, right. who are one, male and female, two, different races, and three, awesome. And different heights, too. I mean, they're both tall, but, yeah. like, Topher's really tall, and Annabelle's tall. <laughs> they're both tall. <laughs> they're both they're tall. Both really tall. I think, like, I mean, Annabelle's six foot. Right. And Topher is six Over foot. six foot. Four? I don't yeah. know. He's tall. Yeah, he's a tall guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're really leaning hard mm -hmm. into the the idea mm -hmm. of early modern facial blindness. Mm -hmm. So you have that. Um, you have also to think about, since this is one of Shakespeare's earlier plays, and he stole it pretty much wholesale from a Menachme. If you've ever read or seen the Menachme, it's like, like identical. Um, but he did take the, the Greek or Roman convention of the entire events of the play taking place in one day. Because another thing that's set up in the beginning um, is Aegean tells such a sad story that the Duke of Ephesus, it like takes pity on him. And he's like, man, you know, the law of the land is that any Syracusian has to die if they enter our city limits, but I will give you until the end of the day to find your sons. If they're here and they can vouch for you and you all can leave alive. 
And so Ichian is like running around town looking for his sons. And he has a day. So we're very clearly given that delineation. So it's a thing to think about, right? Um, it, it uncomplicates some things and it really complicates other things. Also think about uh, the differences between Syracusians and Ephesians in terms of culture. I really I like find a way to differentiate between them. Um, I saw a really cute, probably one of the cutest copy bears I've ever seen in I think 2008 uh, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and they set it in the Wild West and they they added in a little bit of music and they um, they adapted some of Shakespeare's text to be like lyrics to some of that music. It was very cute but they said in the Wild West so Ephesus was like what you call it Deadwood adorable basically yeah love it and they really leaned hard into the identicalness of the identical twins so it was John Tufts and Tazo Feldman nice playing Bedromios and they're both like petite brown haired brown eyed boys they're so so cute yes yeah um and they were doing clowny stuff so they really leaned hard into that um but but and like the I think I think Syracuse was like wildly different it was almost like um prim and proper like black and white or you know like Victorian as opposed to like full technicolor wild west um so finding ways to differentiate between those worlds when you have foreigners in a a strange territory um and that's fun you can like milk that milk all the comedy out of that also think about your Adriana I think Allie probably did one of the best Adrianas I've ever seen um, and that's Allison Glenzer at the ASC and their production from a couple years ago in the resident troupe but she really for some reason it just finally hit home with me like how hurt she was that her her Antipholus was running around town and making a fool of her while she had to stay home and she's got this beautiful speech about how um you know, women are locked away at home and why should their liberty than ours be more, you know, and she's complaining about all this to her sister who's still a single woman and she's like trying to tell her sister not to fall in love and not get married. But then of course she does. She ends up marrying the other Antipholus, which is not even talked about, but it's kind of creepy. Isn't that? Well, twins? Was sisters marrying twins? I mean, for I, first of all, for the early moderns, no, not creepy. Second of all, I think that happens still. Oh, it totally happens. So. Like, my uncles who are, my great uncles who are twins married sisters. Like, I love that. I, I think that's really cute. Like, yeah, the two eldest sisters of one family married the two twin brothers of my family. Oh, that's really cute. It, yeah, it was kind of cute. They're really cute. I can't, I guess I can't hate on it. Yeah. But, I don't know. Um, so there's just really fun characters Really, really fun characters. Opportunities to clown. Opportunities for Commedia dell'arte, if you want. Or you just really want to bang on that glockenspiel, don't you? I have had some wine. Yeah. Do you want to just go for it? It's so much fun. Okay. We can play with all of my instruments when we're done. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> okay. You done now? Yes. Continue. <laughs> yep. Um, so that's what I got for production perspective. It's a super fun play. Have fun with it. That's yeah. all. It's just a romp. It is a romp. All right, so we've already done our game. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to some gossip. Yeah, it's gossip time. Gossip time. What's been happening this summer? Gossip. I'll tell you what's been happening this summer. 
first of all, the American Shakespeare Center has a new artistic director. Oh, yeah. We um, are talking about it now. Yeah. It's, like, all over the papers. Yep. Ethan McSweeney, he came to us. I mean, us. Yeah, you're part us. of the company. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, from, from um, STC. Uh, New York. Shakespeare Theater Company. Yeah. He was Yeah. He was the AD at STC in D.C. Uh, like a decade ago or some shit. Okay. That was um, ago. Yeah. And then uh, has more recently been in New York. People seem to like him. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I haven't met him yet. Uh, that's not a surprise. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited. He's got big dreams, I think. Big dreams. Big dreams. Big stars in his eyes. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be lots of fun. But it's kind of a huge, kind of a huge deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, what else is going on? You moved into your new house. I did. I stayed there with you. I am here with you now. <laughs> yep. You're in your house that you own. So great. Which is exciting. Um, I read a lot of shit. For not yeah. shit. It was not shit. I read a lot of shit, and by shit, I mean stuff, not shit like bad things. I mean, I read some bad things, but mostly I read exciting things. You heard about some of them, like The Witch. Yeah. Y'all. The Witch. Super. Okay, so right. in other artistic director news, yes. uh, Bill Roush announced, and this is kind of old news, but Bill Roush announced that he's leaving Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2019. Right. I just saw on OSF's Twitter feed yesterday that they are officially putting out the job posting. So if you think you have what it takes to be the next AD of the Oregon fucking Shakespeare Festival, uh, I would go ahead love and apply. If one of our listeners was actually someone who could get that job, wouldn't that be? That great? would be so cool. If and we had then a like Bill Rouch level listener. Yeah, tell PS, us first. If we, yeah, if we have a Bill Rouch level listener out there, uh, we want you on the podcast, so get in touch. Yeah, obviously. Basically. Yeah. So that's happening. Uh-huh. Um, what else? Uh, so there's a new AD at St. Louis Rep, and her name mm-hmm. is Hannah S. Sharif. And yo, this girl's the real deal. Um she so she's right now was right now i don't i guess i don't know when she starts at st louis but um until she does that slash did that um she is at baltimore center stage as the associate artistic director um Mm -hmm. and so there's just like it's like this tiny little press release uh but she has two mentors who are kinds of big deals. She's got a playwriting mentor who is Edward fucking Albie. What? Yeah. And then her directing mentor is motherfucking Sir Peter Hall. The late, great Peter yeah. Hall. Oh so, my God. So, uh, she's no joke and she's going to do some cool fucking shit in St. Louis would be my guess. Uh, also, I think it's worth noting First of all, that she is a woman. Uh, and second of all, that she is black. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, she's very rare in the artistic directing yeah. field for those reasons. Yeah. And so, kind of amazing. So way to go, St. Louis rep. That's a great hire. You've done good. Yeah. Congratulations. And congratulations to Hannah Sharif. Dang. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah. Keep your eye on that one. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's. I mean, it hasn't been like a quiet summer. There's been shit going on, but yeah, no we've kidding. Been recording, and we've been busy. So 
Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. All of the gossip that I've been seeing on Twitter this week is like real, real specific to academia. There's another Chronicles higher ed article that has got people all angry. About what? I don't know. I haven't read it. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I've seen it going around. I'm not even sure I could tell you what the title of the article is. But people are upset because the Chronicle does poor. Oh, it's attacking um, librarians and archivists, I think, as like not oh. real academics, which is bullshit. So, yeah. Um, that is some bullshit. Yeah. But again, um, I didn't read it. So I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, there's an article out that caught my eye in either American Theater, maybe it was American Theater, not Theater Communications Group, which is why I couldn't find it. But it's, a, I guess, a bunch of artistic directors were polled about the future of the industry. Uh -huh. um, and, and a lot of their comments are uh, really insightful and just worth worth reading. So I, th I think actually that's on AmericanTheater.org. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So, because yeah, all of our gossip seems to be pretty artistic director centric yeah. these well, days. I guess maybe it's that time of year? Question mark. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, know. also, you know, the Me Too movement has really shaken up a lot of organizations and left um, many theater companies in need of new leadership. Right. So, yep. you know, make of that what you will. But yep. I think I think that's kind of all we got this week. Yeah. Like because it. summer is still kind of happening, so yeah. we're not really going to debrief on all of the happenings over the summer because it's still fucking summer. Yeah, it's it's August. I, I don't even go back to school yet for a yeah. couple more weeks. Yeah. So We're only doing it this early because it was Lexi's birthday. Yeah. We're not doing <laughs> it again next year, Lexi. This is it. <laughs> this is it. You only get one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you know, um, thanks so much for listening everybody uh we hope that you leave the podcast more informed than when you started also we know that this episode was a little bit uh meandering perhaps uh and we we promise to return shortly to your regularly scheduled military precisioned episodes oh yeah that's totally what i don't know for. i don't know military precision i don't know i don't know next week it's it's what is it it's richard three next week tune in next week for dun 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 richard the third 201 no my drum is over there i just want to do the dun 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 it doesn't a glockenspiel doesn't do that it's too chipper yeah yeah all right yeah. well Richard 3, 201. Yas! out. Quenlet out! If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Yeah, get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. Email us at holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram or hurlyburlyshake on Twitter. I to the world am like a drop of water who in the ocean seeks another drop. It's been six months since I've been on the road. Got out of jail six months ago. I feel like I'm knocking on Satan's door cause to tell the truth I can't take it no more. 
Early Burley Shakespeare Show was produced entirely by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet, with no help from anyone, because we're poor. To read more about us or for other podcast-adjacent materials, visit our website at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Okay, we did have help from one guy, Jonathan Shu, who composed the music you're enjoying right now. For more information on him, go to jonathanshu.com or check out his albums on iTunes. And hey, if we name-checked you or someone you know during today's podcast, it's because you inspire us. So keep doing what you do best. I'm going to do it now. Um, okay. Twins. A kitchen maid. Sad. <laughs> so not helpful, and it's more no. like a haiku. Yeah. That's really bad. It's real bad. Do you want to try again? Maybe. Five words is really small. You came up with this. I this know. This is your idea. I know.